0: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. We have a really cool guest with us today, Rich Wharton, an Air Force veteran also. And we're super pumped because the Air Force is the best. And um, so it's great to have a couple of Air Force guys on the show today. And we can wrap about some cool Air Force stuff and what we did and and all that jazz. So, um, Rich, so cool to have you on the show today, man. Thanks for carving out some time for us.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me on your guys' show. I'm uh, really excited to be here, Jason. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, um you do some cool stuff now, um, content
0: creation and are really involved in kind of the, the social space online, um, which I want to dig into because you know that's what you know we're doing with the podcast, obviously it's video and audio, but all the social stuff that surrounds that and, and getting better, and that's kind of where the world is today. But um, before we dig into that, tell us a little bit about about you. Like how did you picked the Air Force and what did you do? What, what was your job? I know you did kind of some cool stuff uh, in the Air Force and had some deployments to the Middle East. So um, walk me through kind of that that whole process. Like what inspired you to join the military?
1: Oh man. Well, okay. Well, this is, this is a story. I'm fortunate enough to be a military brat. So both my parents served in the Air Force, which is why I kind of had this pull or this call to serve in the Air Force because um, of my parents, but also I come from a family of four. I got uh, other older siblings, and my brother and my sister also served in the Air Force. Uh, my grandfather, on both my mom and my dad's side, also served in the military. Uh, one got to be in the Army Air Corps when it got established, and the other one, um, he was in the Army, and he was in the Pacific during World War II. So I've, I've got a tattoo that's actually like a family tree. of It's full of skulls. And each helmet represents a different conflict of me and my family of, uh, that we've been involved in. So uh, Iraq, um, the first Gulf War for my mom, uh, Vietnam and Bosnia for my dad, and then, like I said, for my grandparents, World War II. So uh, that's kind of this passion to serve kind of stems from. And I was born in Germany, raised in Europe. I got to travel all over Europe. Uh, it was about the mid-90s when we moved to the States, and then I joined the military Um, and went off to do my own thing. And I did that for seven years. I got into the Air Force in 2003, right out of high school, and I went into uh, pararescue. And at the time I was engaged to my high school sweetheart and my family didn't know about this. And we ended Uh up eloping. I know, right? I was, I was making all the right moves according to my parents at this time, but um, we eloped on town pass uh, during graduation weekend. And I was going into pararescue, and it was, I think, week two when I was on team. We were on uh, 001, Balls 1 is how we referred to it. And I found out that she wasn't be able, my wife wasn't going to be able to join me on my training pipeline, only on Christmas Exodus. And it hit me hard because as a newlywed, I wanted to be with her, and I wanted her to join me. And so I made a difficult decision, but the right decision, and I'd make that decision again, to leave pararescue and to go – wherever uncle Sam needed me to be, which at the time was civil engineering. So I became a water and fuel systems craftsman. Now you seem old enough to where you might remember the movie Polly Shore made yeah. in the army now.
0: Yeah, I remember.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what I did when I was deployed in Iraq. We took water <laughs> from the Euphrates, made it to where it was clean. Uh, you know, we could cook with it, clean with it, uh, shower with it, you know, drink it, things of that nature, We distributed the water out to the base, and um, well, I did that for about five years in that career field. Uh, we ended up doing three tours total to the Middle East in that career field. And towards the end, when my contract was getting ready to expire, I had this, this, this pool still to serve in the special forces triage. And um, I was looking at jobs such as like combat control, pararescue again, um, SEER, attack p sorry i was thinking about all the different like special forces there for a second and well SEER caught my eye and uh what that stands for is survival evasion resistance escape teaching air crew members how to survive in any given environment if they get shot down i was like oh man that's stateside let's do that and so i cross-trained into that but it didn't work out as i imagined it did so after seven years i decided to end my contract with the air force and uh but now I'm now I'm into streaming. That's
0: cool, man. That's it's a neat story. And We were kind of talking before the show started about just some of your experiences and things, you know, in the Middle East and um, you know, how hot it got and and you know being
1: ridiculously away from, hot.
0: Yeah, and then in the seer training, being away from kids and um, you know the more that I talk to people, a lot of a lot of the pull oftentimes for people to get out of the military, it seems, is just that that it's either getting deployed so much that it's like, Hey, eventually a bullet's going to hit me. You know, I've, I've dodged it this many tours, one day one's going to land on me or, or B it's, you know, that, that time away from the family that is so difficult, you know, when you have young ones at home and stuff, that's, that's really tough. to be honest. It
1: is tough. And you, you just remember, um, you made me think about a memory of coming back from my second tour. Um, my son didn't recognize me because I had been gone, uh, I think I was gone for this one for about eight months, which is not common. Um, at the time, the ops tempo, it was supposed to be gone for six, home for six, gone for six, home for six, with us being in civil engineering, and, and I was a part of an air combat control, not air combat control, um, an ACC squadron, and uh, so that we were just constantly gone, and well, the, that tour being as long as it was, I had left when he was very, very, very young, and I came back, and he didn't, know who I was besides from like the pictures and then like every once in a while I got to do um what was that Skype I think Skype had just started and it was terrible service it wasn't like anything <laughs> like this it yeah. was freeze frames and like drops constantly and so like he would see me and I would see him which my wife was amazing about making sure you know he saw me but when I came home and I got off that plane and we're doing all the hugs on the tarmac he did not want to come to me, and. That hit me hard. I was like, wow, I understood it because, you know, I've been gone for so long. Who is this man? Yes. And, but even though he saw me on Skypes and, like, you know, his mom was really good about photos and, and videos, things of that nature, he still didn't want to go to me because he was kind of nervous. It took a while. He warmed up. Obviously, we're good now. He's 14 now. This is when he was, oh, geez, uh, 2007 was my second tour. So I think he had to have been two at this age. So, you know, he was pretty young
0: yeah that is really young that's tough when they're that young it's tough to be gone because you miss all these little milestones you know and um but then on the flip side you know that reaction that's heartbreaking you know that's that that pulls at your heart pretty hard I mean that makes a lot of sense as to why you start thinking about changing your career path you know
1: Yeah, especially after the third one where I was like, yeah, you know, this ops tempo is not changing. Uh, I either need to make the decision to where I'm going to do this for 20 and just expect to be gone a lot, which is not easy on a family, like you were saying, or make a different decision and do something different. And I was at that point in my time, I wasn't thinking about catching bullets or like, hey, my luck's going to run out. Uh, It was more of like, I think – I think I'm done going to the desert is what it was. Cause I was like, I, I didn't like being hot. It got really, really hot there. And obviously it was a hostile environment. And yeah, as a married man crawling into the bed every night of my wife is definitely something I missed being deployed. So it was an easy decision. Yeah. So what did you start doing
0: after the military? Like what, you're, you're into the social space now, content creating, right. Um, which I don't know for a lot of people that are, um, watching the show or listening to the show if they really even understand what content creation is. I mean, oh, I
1: I'd imagine I, not.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, how did you, how did you get into that? And then t- tell us what it is, like explain it to people for the layman. So they understand. Absolutely.
1: I would call it, it's a part of the entertainment business. I think yeah. um, I got into streaming is what I do. Um, you can see behind me, I've got this plushy pillow. That's uh, the glitch symbol for Twitch. Um, I was sitting down watching YouTube with my sons and I couldn't believe that at my son's baseball tournament in between matches, he had his little, like, I think it was his iPad or something like that. Um, and they're all huddled around each other, watching some person play Minecraft on an iPad on YouTube. And I was like, Hey, why don't you guys, you know, go over here and hang out on like with us. He's like, why are you guys all watching this other person game? Why don't you guys just do it? It's like, Oh no, it's fun watching other people game. And it kind of like, I had a light bulb type moment. And I'm like, interesting. People watch people play video games and they and they can monetize this. And I kind of looked into it and I was just kind of dumbfounded. At the time I was in school, I was going to college for sports medicine, uh, specializing in exercise science because I wanted to be kind of like a fitness trainer and like a, a kind of like a fitness coach. And um, well, I, I told my wife what the kids were doing and I go, I think I could get into something like that. And it wasn't until... I was sitting on the couch with both my sons and we're watching another YouTuber. They said, dad, you could do this. Did I make that, that, okay, I'm going to try this. I was in between jobs at the moment. I had just got my degree and um, I I had this idea to where I could not only like entertain people with like playing video games, but I also love fitness and I wanted to change the stigma that surrounds gamers. Cause like, even like my dad, he's like gamers, like a bunch of, Overrate people with acne to sit around all day. I'm like, that's that's a common misconception that I think is a terrible stigma because there are so many people from so many different walks of life and different parts of the world that enjoy video games or uh, watching people play video games, and so. Taking the fitness realm and video games and meshing it together, and then just trying to entertain people when it comes to my stream because I do more than just video games. And a lot of people don't realize that Twitch is more than video games. It's got podcasts, it's got cooking shows, it's got your crafting shows, it's got um, art streams, which some things I do. Like, you, I'm actually wearing a shirt that I designed. Um, I got picked up by a sticker company, and they the stickers or the, the art that I draw in stream they make stickers for me and I give that to my subscribers and my channel as a gift. It's it's crazy, man. I'm I'm loving it though. I've only been doing it for about 20 months. And getting into this universe, this Twitch universe or content creating is all new to me. And I'm still kind of learning it. I've only been doing it for about 20 months. And I went from not being on Instagram Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, not doing any social medias to being on all the social media. So it's kind of, it was like taking a drink of water from a fire hydrant when it came to like all the information.
0: Yeah, it's a lot to learn. Like I've been, you know, in my business, in the mortgage industry, you know, trying to leverage the social media aspect as much as I can. And it's like, it's like every time you think you're, you're doing an okay job at it, it's like you kind of uncover this new level. You're like, oh, shoot, I'm not even close to that. Okay, now I need to like retool and figure out how to get to that level, you know?
1: Constantly, Um, constantly like reevaluating, okay, what can I do better to get more attention? So you're just constantly like reevaluating your decisions. At least I am, that's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm 100% in the same category. Um, What what have you seen from, or what have you learned, I guess, from when you first started to like, like how do you build your following? How do you get people to find you on YouTube? You know, I mean, it's I discoverability. Yeah,
1: it's it's not easy, and I don't I don't have the answer because I'm still trying to find it myself. Uh, but networking, I think, is probably like one of the best things anybody can do, especially if you're like a starting out content creator. Because some, like, like especially now with like COVID nineteen, there's been a mass influx of people going digital like working from home um entertainers are now starting to like you know like actual like stand-up comedians are starting to do like their twitch streams or you've got like musicians that are now coming onto twitch to do their music it's just exploding with more people so the discoverability is even more difficult for those who are trying to be discovered i guess you could say on twitch who aren't already like a big name like um like I was just like other big names, like I was just saying, like for uh, musicians and um, comedians or or cooks and things of that nature. So what I do besides just networking, um, like through social medias, is creating content on more than one platform. And the way I explain this to other upcoming streamers who are just looking to start is to kind of look at social media as like your checkerboard. And the more piece like checker pieces you have on this board, the more likely you are to be successful at at winning this game, so to speak. So like uh, you've got your Instagram, your YouTube, uh, Twitch, TikTok, Twitter. These are all different pieces on the board at your disposal. So I say, the more you have, the more likely of you getting your content discovered and just constantly flooding those platforms with content. And it's, it's not easy because you're balancing a lot, especially me as a family man, because you know, it's, it's not just, streaming to get noticed After I'm done streaming, I have to make videos or edit content, post uh all these different areas, networking with people who I've been networking with. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not your 40 hour week. It's much more than that.
0: Yeah. Well and it takes time like and that was something that I learned early on when I started getting deeper into social media stuff is great I made this piece of content. Like I recorded a video. Woohoo. Maybe you you know got it edited. Okay, great. Now I got to get it posted everywhere mm-hmm. and that can take hours. And I don't think like, I don't know if people think about it. I didn't think about it for the longest time. And then it, and when it came time to upload another piece of content, I'm like, oh man, I've got like two hours of like upload and wait, you know, yeah. like, you know, and then, oh, I got it. You know, like with Instagram, you can't upload it from your computer. You, got, you can only do it from your mobile device. So yep. then you got to get it from your computer to your mobile device in a format and then reformat it because the format's different on Instagram. Yep. you got to get it put up on there. And it's like just posting the Instagram video alone took an hour, you know? Yep. And then, you know, you put on LinkedIn and it takes forever to upload there. And it's like, oh, my gosh, there's, there's a lot of time, like idle time, but it's necessary, right? You've got to get it uploaded.
1: Uh, and and not just getting the video there, but if let's say even if you put it on Instagram or TikTok, if you're not hitting like the algorithm, so to speak, for like the hashtags, it may not get as many views that you would uh, have liked it to have gotten. It's it's tough because it's the algorithms always changing. The finding the right hashtags isn't the easiest thing to do. It's it's a process. It's a process. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is a process. What's um? Tell me more about Twitch. Like I I only recently heard about it. I don't really understand what it is.
1: Okay, well, um, it's a streaming platform that's owned um, primarily by Amazon, and uh, I'm affiliated with it. I have aspirations to be a partner with Twitch, you know, getting a little purple check mark, which most verifications is some type of check mark. Um, and wow, like it's, they have a convention in San Diego every year. It's called TwitchCon, and I had the opportunity to go last year, and it was amazing. This year, sadly, they just announced it got canceled due to COVID 19, which makes complete sense due to the whole social distancing not being a thing. With that many people at this convention center, but um, man, it is so much to explain. It's a streaming platform, and you can make it whatever you want it to be. Like I do variety, and there's a lot of people out there that don't do variety. They just stick to one thing. And I've, you know, I've been spouting off examples. It, it just depends on what you're into, and then you find other people in this community because essentially that's what it is you're building a community like i've been building a community as a twitch streamer and uh, i have it based off of my um fng or excuse me my fitness and gaming um community is what i've named it for fitness and gaming gotcha okay and um a lot of people go on there and it's just like I don't even know how to describe it. I I create it like a safe space because there's, there's just so much negativity, especially right now and in the world to where people just want to have a spot to where they can go and kind of check out from that, the stresses of the world and just, and just be in the moment with this content creator and just create a pleasant experience. And that's kind of what I do. Um, I have a lot of different people from a lot of different parts of the world. It's really amazing. I love it. I have people coming in from India, um, from the, The Netherlands, Canada, Mexico, you know, all over the states, um, as well as like Italy, the UK, it's awesome. All these different parts of the world, all different walks of life, all these people in one location, you know, creating this shared experience. I love it. And as me, I'm not really an, an introvert. I'm more of the opposite of that. And you'll find there's a lot more introverts, so to speak, on Twitch. And so this is a great way, especially with now with social distancing and the way technology is like exploding with this COVID-19, it's giving an avenue for people to still interact with other people because it's, it's, it's live and it's highly interactive, especially in the chat.
0: Oh, wow, that's really interesting. So I um, might have to look into Twitch a little bit. for.
1: I, I would, yeah. I mean, like, especially with anybody who's like an entrepreneur looking to grow their brand, depending on what it is that they do. With you doing podcasts, you could probably do some stuff on Twitch for sure. It would definitely help you out.
0: So let's talk about like monetizing. Like that's, okay. that's like the key word, right?
1: Yes, it is.
0: In doing all this, right? You've got to make money. Yep. You've got to have an income, right? So um, how, I, from an elementary standpoint, I get okay. that like more followers will help you with monetizing your content. Um, so walk me through that a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, um, you can, anybody can get on Twitch and, uh, and watch Twitch. You don't have to pay. It's a free services. Um, but if you decide you want to stream through Twitch, you don't automatically start monetizing from it. You have to become an affiliate. And so they have prerequisites that you have to hit kind of like stepping stones. So you have to have this many average viewers, this many followers, and you have to have streamed for this long. And then once you hit these, um, core requirements, they then invite you to be a part of the affiliation program where you can start to monetize your work and you have to, you know, agree to their terms of service, the TOS saying that you won't do anything. That's like an infringement or copyright infringement. And then, um, like you were saying, like with the money, so we have bits, what's are kind of like pennies or like a way that you can, uh, throw a tip at somebody, but at the same time you can, you can donate or tip somebody as well. So it's kind of difficult to explain bits, but I'll do my best let's say I did something that was impressive to you in the game I was doing and you wanted to throw a quick 25 cents at me, you can drop 25 bitties in the chat and then that goes to me. But I don't get all of the bitties. You know, Amazon or Twitch, they have to take their cut. So they take a cut of everything, whether it be subscriptions, which people can pay to be a subscriber to your channel, which gives them like ad-free viewing. Uh, It gives them emotes that they can use specifically in my channel because I have my own specific emotes. And by um, well, other way, so I said donating, I said bits. Do you get anything uh, from so the advertisers
0: that advertise?
1: Uh, yes, yeah. advertising, yeah, very minimal. I don't have the numbers in front of me, I apologize, but it's a very low number when it comes to how much you make off of an ad. So they do have pre-rolled ads for your stream, and if somebody comes in and they're not subscribed, they're gonna hit with an automatic ad. I get a small portion of those ads and it's based off of how many viewers are currently in the stream for that ad. So if I had like a hundred people and I played like a quick 15 second ad, I may or may not get like maybe like 25 cents or something. Like it's a very low number. Like I, I really don't have the numbers in front of me. It's, it's unless you're constantly rolling ads with ex- insanely large numbers, that's about the only time you really see a good benefit from the ad. It does add up though. Every little bit adds up over time, but I, I haven't seen too much from the ad revenue, so to speak.
0: And then and then so does it obviously it differs a little bit like when you're trying to monetize like on YouTube, right? So subscribers on YouTube eventually is what I imagine leads to advertisers advertising on your your page or your your stream, right? And then you probably get some of that revenue, I would imagine, depending on how large your audience is, right?
1: Well, I don't have a very large presence on, on YouTube. Even though I said that you need to have all these social medias in your disposal, I am on, have a presence on all of those. But I have a huge focus on mainly like Instagram and uh, Twitch. All the other ones, I'm on there, but it's so hard to balance all of them. I kind of yes. stick to just one as my main focus. Plus, I, I enjoy the way Instagram is with like the IGTV to where you can do like longer videos, like you can kind of find on YouTube. I'm kind of turning like my Instagram into my YouTube while still posting stuff to YouTube. I just don't do enough on YouTube to really talk about YouTube. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: That's cool. That's cool. Um, So
0: kind of back to the military a little bit. So um, you in seer training, mm-hmm. obviously you're, you're teaching survival, right? And yep. um, You know, so, I mean, for, and you explained it to me, but for, for those guys, like I always wanted, when I was in the military, I always wanted to become a pilot, right? So I knew that, you know, I had officer school, I had pilot school and I had survival school, which were, you know, going to be a couple of years to accomplish all that stuff. Um, But survival school was one that, you know, they talked about quite a bit, which is what you were an instructor of, right?
1: Yeah, a training to become an instructor in, yeah. Training, okay. So, so I mean,
0: in that, it's like, hey, you know, your aircraft gets down somewhere, and you're teaching them how to survive, right? How to survive in all these different environments, how to not get captured by the enemy, what happens if you do get captured, how to not get tortured, you know, uh, how to not, not give away information, like all that stuff. So, um, do you have any, like, any cool stories from, from that training that you remember? Oh, my
1: gosh, yes. So, um, at Fairchild Air Force Base, where about three quarters of the training for Syria takes place. I mean, there's a couple other places outside of it, but um, the water egress training was my absolute favorite. So, in high school, I was on the swim team. Um, I was a lifeguard for the nearby water park. I just love being in the water. So, um, when I did the water training, I was just like at home. It was amazing. They had this cool, I don't even know how to describe it, it was like a mock up of like the inside of like a helicopter or like a c-130 they could change the seats around to where it feels like you're inside like an actual um airplane or helicopter whatever it is they have it mocked up for and it's above this indoor pool and everybody's all strapped in well, you know they've gone through the briefing of what, the, what there's, what's going to happen they're going to drop us into the water roll it to where we're upside down and it completely submerged underwater and they're teaching us that you have to maintain a point of contact for like reference and you always have your hand on something so you don't all of a sudden unclick your seatbelt and you're just floating in the water, and let's say it's dark, you know you're going to drown because you can't find your way out, you're just floating. So point of contact, key thing, unbuckling, finding the window, pushing it out, turning yourself and going out the window and getting up to the you know the pool surface is amazing. but I'm not I'm not doing it justice because they've got this underwater camera set up. They've got like divers down there for like safety reasons. And then they've got like the sound system on to where it sounds like a storm, the lights are off, and they got strobe lights and it's flickering. Somebody's out there with like a um a fire suppression hose and everybody's all like linking up, trying to like swim together to get to like the life raft after everybody's gotten out of um uh, the down aircraft simulation and we're getting into this life raft and we're getting sprayed in the face with these things and it's simulating the storm we're having to put the canopy i mean it was just like the coolest experience i loved like the water egress training even when they set us in our our own individual like metal chairs they gave us like our own little self-contained breathing apparatus like in our pocket here and they roll you in this chair to where you're completely upside down you got to find it purge it breathe unbuckle and then crawl out it was awesome. I love that aspect. That was like my favorite.
0: That's cool. I I was always interested to know what the training was like, for, like if you'd been captured.
1: Okay. That's a little bit more difficult to talk about uh, just because some of the stuff I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about. Right. But uh, the stuff I can talk about, it was it's got to be intense. I mean, think about it. We could only train so close to the real thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's, we're not going to do the type of tortures on our own personnel for the sake of training. It's dramatizing enough as it is just to do a training scenario. So it's more like a stressor is kind of what they would use for some of the training. But wow, okay. Um, getting rolled up uh, and, as a like prisoner of war or a detainee or, uh, you know, hostage situations. Like, it was intense like severely intense training and it's it's just amazing like everybody has a different breaking point everybody has a breaking point and it's at different intervals for everybody some people break faster than others it's all about remembering what they train you and so it's a constant like Kind of like with infants or young children, it's just repetition, repetition, repetition until they finally get it. Well, it's kind of the same thing when you're training adults, so repetition until they finally get it. And so if you're not doing something right, they're going to keep doing the situation that you're messing up in until you get it right. So that way in the real situation, you know what to do. to um, I try, Like being taught how to get out of handcuffs, zip ties, using shoelaces to like, Cut through zip ties. I mean, there's some things that are kind of like basic knowledge for like survival situations that we could talk about. But the actual training itself that we w- we go through, it's supposed to kind of stay hush hush. Sure. But, um, but um, it's it's nothing to where um you can't survive going through it because obviously it's a training environment. It's a, a rough one, and I came out of it a completely different person, and kind of emotional from it too because I had already done uh two tours to the Middle East and I have you know, a wife and kids, and then like, you know, they, they use that as leverage over you when you're in some type of interrogation room, and like, they're trying to teach you like, how not to let them use like, tools such as family members against you and try to uh, almost be like an actor, so to speak, in certain situations. And I was lucky enough to where my wife has a very unique name, and so they tried to use her name in the interrogation room on me, and it was completely wrong and slaughtered. So I was like, who's that? I don't even know who the hell you're talking about. So I played it <laughs> off so well. And at the end of the scenario, he was like, dude, are you really not married? I'm like, no, nah, I'm married. You just didn't say my wife's name right. You know, it was, it was funny. <laughs> Academic situation, once the scenario is over, we talk about it like, hey, this is what you did wrong. This is where you need to improve. Good job on ripping up that document type stuff.
0: Yeah, just the whole TV. That's cool. How long is, is that training in total? Like, all, all phases
1: of it? Um, Like uh, going, through, going through survival school or going yeah. through like survival training, like if you're an air crew member, because it can be longer depending on your career field. Like if you're somebody who kicks in doors and goes in and rescues people, your survival training is going to be a little bit more intense and longer than let's say somebody who's – um. I don't know, maybe I can't think of an example right now. Maybe somebody who's like a part of an air crew and their job is just to carry cargo back and forth and if they get shot down in an environment like what they would have to go through. So it's a little bit catered towards your career field but for the most part time-wise, I think we spent a week out surviving in the woods and then we did a week going through different forms of uh, like getting rolled up as like a pow or detainee or hostage like we went we did a full week of that type of mock-up training in their um, actual training environment that was supposed to simulate like you know being a detainee or a hostage or a prisoner of war
0: got it okay yeah that's interesting man so um, i'm sure through your military training that some of that stuff has probably translated into how you operate, you know, your business and and probably helped establish some skill sets for you. Right. Um, A little bit. So, yeah. What would you say, like, like what what kind of advice would you share for, could you share for the audience that, um, you know, maybe could help them in either their military career or, or in their civilian, uh, world from your experience in the military or your training.
1: Okay. Uh, task saturation, you know, being able to time manage was something that I learned being in the military. I'm sure a lot of other military members have learned that too, just because, especially with SEER, is uh, when you're training to become a SEER instructor, you, you get task saturated, unbelievably so, just so that you can kind of learn to prioritize what you need to accomplish. And so with that experience, I've kind of T- like brought that over to the civilian sector so to speak and especially with ser- uh, not ser- excuse with um, content creating and streaming like i was mentioning earlier there's it's so much more than just turning on a video game so to speak and just playing in front of people so much goes into that even outside of it trying to get that content out for other people to see so the task saturating the time management um, i think that's something that I've taken with me from era, the military side into the civilian sector that that's kind of helped me kind of like, hey, this is what they need to do type deal. Have these checklists to go through. And then advice that I could give to people I was nervous to, like, you know, from an entrepreneurship mindset, which I'm sure you're going to understand, is that you have to be willing to take risk. And taking the chance or the risk on yourself is a scary one because me making the decision, okay, I'm going to start from scratch in something I had no nothing really about, just something that I'm interested in, but I think I can make it happen. I had to establish a plan and I communicated that with my wife. Um, I, I talked about it with my family my friends, you know, said, Hey guys, this is what I'm going to do. This is, do you think this is something I can pull off? And we kind of like brainstorm. So we put together a good plan. A five-year plan is what I'm working on a 20 months into it. And, um, taking that chance. It's hard, but do it. I, th- I think you should take the chance on yourself. If you're not willing to take the chance on yourself, how do you expect others to take the chance on you? That's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. You know, no, no risk, no reward, as they say. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and
1: yeah. if you fail, at least you tried.
0: Right. And, you know, it goes back to kind of those cliche quotes, you know, from any famous athlete or famous rich guy, was you know, they failed more times than they succeeded, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you have to fail to learn.
0: Right. You got to fail to learn. And, and some of those lessons can be really tough and they can be really expensive. Um, but that's what just makes you bigger, better, stronger for the next challenge ahead, right? To help you get through it.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: so, a question that I got to ask is uh, having served in the military, have you used your VA loan yet to buy
1: a house? I have. Yeah, twice. Right on.
0: Yeah. Ooh, right. That's great
1: yeah um it's it could be a bit of a process i'm not gonna lie i uh my wife she worked for the va at one point in time and uh she worked for the salt lake city um fiduciary hub and they have like you know you can work from home and you can live wherever you want to do this job essentially if you're in your area where her area was the western area so you know you like um washington oregon california utah this whole area so even though her hub was utah we moved out to Oregon because my son had this really bad asthma and living out that direction really helped out his asthma. So he actually outgrew it with us living in Oregon. It was amazing. But the process of securing a VA home loan from Utah to Oregon was a bit much because with her being working from home, wherever, we're trying to buy a home in Oregon and her place of work was Utah. So the paper trail behind that was a bit um, of a headache to put lightly, but it worked out, and um, when they did the inspection, for the VA home loan to go through, they wanted our front patio to have a railing, and I was the only one on that block with the railing on my patio. Everybody else did have it because it was only like two feet up, and it was no. not that big of a deal to everybody else, but for me to secure the VA home loan, they wanted me to have a railing, so the contractor had to come back install a railing, and then I was able to secure the loan. So there's some things that you have to do to make it, but you know what, it was worth it, and I don't care about having a railing put in. I had two kids now, so it was just beneficial for them.
0: Yeah, well at the end of the day, probably a little safer anyways to have railing yeah. up, right? Which is the whole pretense and the reason that the VA appraiser would flag something like that, right? It's just safety, yeah. and uh, it's, yeah, it can be task saturation. <laughs> both, both from a home buyer perspective, and then also on the lender side of things, you know, sometimes there can be task saturation. And um,
1: yeah, and you gotta have the right paperwork, you know, for whatever red tape from either side. You know, they all have to have the correct paper trail. So, I got it. It was just, you know, moving sucks to begin with. So dealing with all this paperwork to secure the it loan, it's just added stress. It's this adulting. Yeah. Somebody told my adulting was going to be so difficult.
0: I know, right? Adulting is difficult. And and the moving part is, is stressful besides buying a house. Just moving, packing up all your stuff and going to a different place. That's stressful, right?
1: And you would think that with me being a military brat and a prior military service, I'd be okay with moving by now. It still sucks. <laughs> doesn't matter if I've done it 20 times. It still sucks.
0: Yeah, I think it sucks every time for everybody. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, well, that's cool, man. You use User VA a lot. I'm, I'm glad to hear that more people need to be taking advantage of that.
1: I agree. It's a it's a great program.
0: Great benefit, yeah. We've all earned. Uh, well, awesome, brother. I um, I want to just thank you for taking some time to be on the show with us today and share with us your service and your experience and. Um, have another Air Force guy on the show, and that's that's what it's all about.
1: <laughs> yes, I know we're so far and few between. I know. Well, you know, it's funny being
0: you know, I live in the San Diego area, so um, it's Marine and Navy town here. So, um, you know, I make a big deal of it anytime I, I work with a client who's Air Force or I have someone on the show who's Air Force because out and about in public. You, you never run into an Air Force person here. And I tell them, everyone looks at me like, oh, your hair's cut short, you military?" I'm like, oh, I was in the Air Force. And everyone looks at me like I'm from a different planet because, <laughs> you know, of where I live. Yeah. yeah. So it's exciting to me to get an Air Force person on the show. So,
1: uh, yeah, man, I, I love it. Um, I always get made fun of like, oh, you're Chair Force. So I'm like, Wh- whatever, dude. We're all, you know, the five branches. So many people would like, don't even count the Coast Guard. I'm like, dad, don't leave them out, you know, but uh, – <laughs> It's funny because, like, you get, like, like you said, Army, Air Force, Marines, and then uh, the Air Force is the one they kind of, like, pick on. But then when a Coast Guard kind of comes into the picture, like, all of a sudden, Air Force is what the other guy is like, yeah, ha, ha. But it's like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not getting picked on quite as much. You're not getting Um, picked on quite as much. But it is what it is. I have so many friends from different branches of the military. And I I don't care one little bit that I'm like the butt of the joke being Air Force. I was like, whatever, man. I I loved my air conditioning con X-Box that I got to stay in for my third tour. How was that yeah. temper tant? Right. <laughs> how, how was that caught?
0: <laughs> yeah, you should have seen the barracks when I was at my AFSC school because it was like a Hilton.
1: Oh, um, uh, yeah. See, like, you know, I don't mind. That's how I look at it. You can make fun all you want. I, I, I chose well, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, um, Rich, thanks again, Ned. It was a pleasure having you on the show. A lot of fun. And um, hey, where can people connect with you if they, if they want to follow you on, on Twitch or any of your other social uh, channels? Uh, well, I'm
1: rockdead 1984 uh, It's a common misconception because, oh, you, do you like rock? Well, I actually enjoy rock climbing, and obviously, I'm a dad, and I was born in 84. So at the time, I just took these three things at that moment and just meshed it to become RockDead1984. And it's kind of just stuck. But you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. <laughs> just type <laughs> up RockDead1984 and Google, I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs>
0: awesome. Great, great, man. Well, for anybody who wants to connect with Rich, RockDead1984, Google him, you'll find all his cool stuff. And um, we thank you a ton for being on the show today. If anybody has questions about VA loan or anything we talked about here, you can connect with us at baloanguy.us. But thanks again for stopping by and listening to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. Look forward to checking me out next time. Take care.